0: i just remember the first time i met you actually yeah when was that in vitro it was eh? yeah yeah
1: because yeah. i'd heard about you because um through bianca yeah she was always like oh have you ever met nathan foone and i was like no i don't think so why,
0: um, why would you bring me
1: <laughs> well because she really enjoyed working with you and um oh, okay yeah you know because she, with she worked with you with the kitchens out at yeah the thing and so we went out there when it had opened to have a look at them and we're like man this is so stylish oh, right. yeah yeah they're so good and she yeah. was singing your praises about you know how how good you were with the design aspects and like the work you put in and I thought sometimes we might
0: have been annoying.
1: No, know? no, she 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 was um always like, Oh, you you should meet Nathan, you guys are yeah. get on really well. And no, she she'd been the one who'd said to me, Oh, you should you should meet Nathan. Cool. So yeah, when you rocked up it was cool.
0: So I was going through this phase when I met you and I was like, I just wanna hone my art skills and, like, be some, like, I don't know, think about, like, art in a different way. And and the way I was thinking about it at the time was, like, I would just, like, draw stuff and paint stuff and it would just be kind of, like, a bit of a meh. Like, it didn't have much depth behind it and I never really, like, had these big thinking processes and, like, broke these topics down or, like, the art down or something. And I didn't maybe just give myself to the art enough
1: Mm.
0: at that time. And I was, like... I feel like I just need to like talk to a mentor or somebody yeah, like yeah. <laughs> has like that. And then I met you and then you, and then you were like, yeah, just like had a big burnout. So I don't know. Tell me about the the burnout. Yeah. Experience. Well, the burnout, I guess. Um, well, you, you also, But by the way, you said I've been an artist for, I don't know. How well, long my whole was, life. Your really, whole life. Like, you'd been exhibiting and in yeah. galleries and overseas and all this stuff. And then. You said you'd burn out, you're working a, a vitro.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I ever <laughs> used the term burnout, but okay, I but, thought they were. Anyway, you know. um, I mean, it, it was kind of part burnout, part. I, was, I mean, was a whole lot of things. I guess it came about over a period of probably about four or five years. Yeah. Um, and so you know, you talk about being an artist all your life. Like, from as far back as I can remember, from as young as I can remember, that's all I ever wanted to do was to be an artist. Mm. Even as a little kid. I always said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to art school when I finish and school and I'm going to be an artist. Mm. So there's sort of never really anything else that I wanted to do. I like I write and I do other sort of creative things, but that was always my focus. So like I finished school, I did a degree, I travelled, I came back, I did a master's, I travelled, you know, and I... Are you right? <laughs> yes, sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, and, yeah. you know, the whole time I was travelling and everything, that was still at the kind of forefront, like... But I... It's... <sighs> one of those things like um, going in a a circuitous route here, which I tend to do, Um, you know, at that point, although that's what I knew I wanted to do, I wasn't prepared to commit myself to it at that stage. I wanted to travel and do other things, knowing that at a point I'd be ready to fully commit myself to being an artist, you know, Um, and that's, you know, I'm talking about after doing a degree and then even doing a master's. I guess when I finished my master's, I, I um, I had a couple of things happen. One was that, um, at my graduate show the, the, the guy who was my um, oh, what do you call it my um, supervisor for my yeah. masters yeah. he was a well known artist in his own right but he'd sort of gone away from being a practicing artist at that point and was basically devoted himself to being a professor at university um, and he used to show with Gail Langsford and all that sort of stuff and he'd had a patron back in the day, a guy called Sir James Wallace, and we won't get into all that because that's another can of worms in itself right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you might know what I'm referring to, you might not, but anyway. Um, and so Chris brought James along to my graduate show for my master's and he took a shine to me and my work and bought almost the whole show. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then went, oh, look, you know, because he had a major collection of New Zealand contemporary art at mm. that time, like we're talking a major and was, in the, yeah, was yeah. in the process of opening a contemporary art museum for his collection, etc., which has been going for quite some time now. But as I say, there's a can of worms we won't go into with that whole okay. situation. Okay. But So then uh, he wanted to sort of backdate uh, my work in the collection to get a sort of overview of my practice for a certain number of years. So I went and Stole work off my parents' walls and all you know, oh sort of stuff, gosh. and sold a whole lot of work, which was great because I'd never had any money at that point. Wait, what? A, can I just like? I'm going to stop you because it's
0: like that would have been a crazy feeling. You just had finished your final show. Yeah, yeah it was somewhat, great. Like, what did what did it feel? What did it feel like then? Um, at that
1: time, uh, I, I mean, I guess at that, that. I mean, it was it was it was it was all sorts of things. It was a nice sort of validation of like. You know, years of hard work, I suppose. Like not Mm -hmm. just with my masters, but building up to that point. You know, studying and, you know, that was. I mean, the the focus of my life had always been to be an artist. So to get that kind of validation from someone who I respected and who was, you know, was well respected in the art community and all that sort of stuff was fantastic. So it was good for me on that level. But financially, it was like amazing because I'd never had any money. You know, like, you know, how much
0: were how much were like?
1: Did you sell? Did you put prices on those things, and they were just like. Well, well you know, we talked about it and then yeah. obviously I gave him a good deal because yeah. he wanted to buy – Like, whole. but my, I mean, my master's show yeah. was essentially – like I won't get into the conceptual underpinning of it because it will take too long, mm-hmm. but essentially the, there were a whole lot of paintings that were virtually the same paintings and it was much more about the surface and the, the process of making those works, which was exceptionally laborious and it was like intentionally laborious and yeah. it just had a lot to do with – like meaning artwork and artwork and, you know, making art in a sort of technological age where images are constantly repeated and they're all around mm-hmm. us. And so mm-hmm. you bring it back to being about the process and, and creating an aura in the artwork through time and meaning and, you know, all that anyway. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, you couldn't really just get one or two. You needed to get a bunch for it to make sense. So he essentially bought, I forget how much of the show, but most of it. Um, so, you know, financially, I mean, but I gave him a good deal because. For for how one, much money was there back then? And I can't even remember. Oh, no, I mean, I was, this is my master's, so I was older. I was 28. Okay. You know, I, I did have like a bit to, of a gap. You had a bit
0: of a gap between your. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I
1: traveled for about four years yeah. after my degree. Okay. And then I met Bianca in Sydney. Well, we worked briefly together in Auckland at one point, but that was after another crazy story where I put the fin of my surfboard through my eyeball <laughs> when I was living in Sri Lanka in a really remote part of Sri Lanka during the Civil War and like had to get stitched up with no anesthetic in like a sh- in a shack with sand on the floor and you know all this sort of stuff crazy story in itself nearly lost my eye and all that and um, ended up back in New Zealand because I had no money because I had to go to Singapore and um, and briefly worked with Bianca in Auckland at a cafe I used to work in a place called Santos which was like one of the cool places on Ponzi Road, and because Marcelo was an old friend of mine yeah. And um, I would left to go overseas and I came back a year and a half later because of that and B was working there because all the young aspiring models are working there because it's where all the pavement crew and all the, you know, fashion people yeah, went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, who's this hottie behind the counter? <laughs> um, but I was. I then ended up having a little show of my work in the cafe because I had paintings left from my degree Yeah. and sold all the paintings in a week and went, right, I'm out of here again because <laughs> oh. I didn't want to be back in New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, we worked here briefly. Um, and then I just bumped into her in a supermarket like a year later in Sydney. And, um, and, and Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. And 23 years later, <laughs> she's, in, she, we're still together. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had our 17 year wedding anniversary um, oh. last week. Oh, nice. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I love a little, the, I love a
0: little <laughs> getting like how the, how you guys met story. Yeah. Well. Yeah.
1: Free, yeah. briefly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, um, oh, we, what were they going with this? So, oh, yeah, we, we, Got together in Sydney and then came back to New Zealand uh, at the end of 2001 and I did my master's in O two and O three. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd finished my degree.
0: You know, and it, and at that time and when you were doing your master's, because you had a gap, you
1: were traveling and stuff, yeah. but you're like, okay, I'm ready to recommit yeah. myself to my... Yeah. Uh, that was the point I was at. Like I'd spent quite a number of years just traveling by myself and living in Asia and yeah. and we probably won't get into it too much, but... Parties. stuff living went down the, living the single life you mean or no? oh well <laughs> not so much that like um I mean I'm an artist you know um <laughs> I don't know not what so wild the thing. oh yeah I was pretty wild <laughs> you were pretty wild yeah okay. yeah um you know what does had, wild mean What's well wild to you? um I mean I guess growing up having always wanted to be an artist I had the strong desire as a teenager everything to experiment you know with drugs and all sorts okay. um because I just wanted to You know, I just had this desire to to sort of, I don't know, tap into my subconscious to see where my mind could Mm. go and all that, with all with a view to making art. That sounds kind of ridiculous, but, you know, that's that's where my head was at. I mean,
0: that's how, like, a lot of, I don't know, yeah, a lot of the.
1: So, anyway, in that time I was away and traveling, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in third world Asia and developed a bit of a heroin addiction and all sorts of stuff. Really? I, I went through the ringer, like, you have no idea. Like addicted to heroin? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, Wait, how the f- how do you get out of that? Oh, it's not easy. Well, because, yeah. you know, prior to that, when I was at art school and everything, I had two very good friends and the three of us were just like fiends, you know, whether it was acid or mushrooms yeah. or whatever and went through all sorts of crazy stuff and smoking heaps of weed, of course. Yeah, um, but that's different to heroin. It is. But then so my friend Andrew, he um, ended up getting into morphine and stuff. And it would always been like, "Oh, you'll love it, you'll love it." And I was like, "I know I will. That's why I don't really want to go there." And it, one thing led to another, and eventually I went there, and I did like it too much. And so you know, that final year of my degree, living in Auckland was a bit of a shambles, and my life was a bit all over the place. And you know, developed sort of an addiction to opiates and what have you. I mean, we took a long time ago. Was it easy to get then? Like, is it? No. no. Oh, you know, if you know the right people, you know, Neither as are. with anything, right? Yeah. You know? yeah okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was wild time. And we're talking ninety, so that was, you 96, were, 97 at this point. Yeah, you know? okay. Um, and then I went overseas uh, and I was in Sydney for a time. And that was good because I was in by the beach and just surfing. And You, you probably know. couldn't get here when then. Well, no, you we could. could. Um, and, you know, every now and then I'd jump on the ferry and go into the city and go to King's Cross because back in the day, King's Cross was... What's the place, eh? Fuck, it was pretty <laughs> rough, man, like... You know, you go to King's Cross now and it's so gentrified and it's all backpackers and, like, yeah. nice fancy places to eat. I mean, back then I can tell you that it wasn't. Wow. There were people dealing on every corner and wow. it was pretty rough. But there were heaps of cops and it was pretty gnarly. So every now and then I'd go around there and <laughs> score something, you know. But I was still pretty clean living at that time. Yeah. But then, of course, I, I went to Asia and I discovered Sri Lanka. And back in the late 90s, Sri Lanka was had, had civil war since 1982. So there were very few tourists and it was pretty rough around the edges. What made you go to Sri Lanka? Like oh, what was I mean, that's a story in itself. I, I'd been looking for somewhere like that, somewhere totally off the okay. radar yeah. um, where I could surf and um, it was warm. And I, I've always been interested in Buddhism and Eastern philosophy yeah. and and it's a Buddhist country. And I i met a, I met a guy in Sydney um, that I worked for uh, at the Curl Curl kiosk. If you've ever been to Northern Beaches, Curl Curl is like the third beach up. You've got manly, freshwater, Curl Curl. Uh-huh. And he had the lease on the Curl, Curl kiosk, so this little kiosk that's at the bottom of the surf club. And literally the sand runs up to the kiosk. Wow. And So you're standing there serving ice yeah, the creams and yeah. hot chips with the ocean right in front of you, you know. And he was a classic dude, probably 20 years older than me. And he was an old surf guru from way back who'd spent a lot of time in the late 70s and 80s through Indonesia and in Sri Lanka and stuff. Okay. And, like, real pioneer surfing places, like, living on islands in Indonesia that had no electricity or running water, no food. He'd have to, like, go get boats to somewhere and bring all the food back with him and all that. You know, pretty hardcore. And he, I'd sort of always thought about Indonesia, but it was so crowded by that stage and heaps sort of Australians. And and we just got talking and he sort of said, oh, what about Sri Lanka? And I was like, oh. And, you know, back then nobody knew anything about Sri Lanka. Like, it was just a, like a, a totally unknown, mysterious land, you know, that yeah. because of the civil war and all that. And um, it just sounded like the, the place I wanted to go, you know, the culture, the people, mm. the good waves, like just, and no, hardly any tourists just off the radar. Had, so, yeah. Yeah, I just decided that was like the place I've been looking for. But had you like thought did you ever think about like, oh, I'm going to
0: practice art over there? Like, you, you just finished an art degree. Oh, yeah. Well, and you were like,
1: I, I guess do, in my headspace at that time, like I was only 23 at this point. Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, all that can wait. Oh, you know, like I knew that I was going to be like in my mind, it's like, well, you're going to be an artist, you know, a famous, successful artist. So you um, wait, did you
0: when when you had or have you with ambition and stuff, you know, like oh, did you always, I was
1: hugely ambitious Okay, always and prepared to work hard. OK, you know, and wow. definitely I mean, at that point, probably less ambitious, but That's I knew that that ambition was there under the surface and I knew that came the right time I was going to give everything to it. You know, I knew that, always knew that. Um, Oh my God, that makes me excited. Yeah, like it was all, I always knew that, no matter what. Yeah. 100%. So, you know, at that point, I was like, well, I'm only young. I'm just, I just want to travel and have all these experiences and I'll draw and I'll write and all that while I'm traveling. Continue to, yeah. Um, Yeah. But all that stuff, like when the time comes, that's going to, you know what I mean? I just sort of had that faith, like whether it's faith in myself or faith in, you know, the universe that's going to provide or what, I don't know. But I knew that. At, at the right point, I was going to give everything to it. Yeah. I think that sometimes. Yeah. But <laughs> I feel it, like I haven't committed either. No, ever. and I think if you want to be an artist, you have to have that attitude. Yeah. You have to be like, I'm prepared to fucking die for this. Yeah. I'm prepared to make every sacrifice that is necessary. Yeah. You know, whether it's financial or whatever, that's you, you have to have that attitude or you will never be an artist because mm. it requires that level of commitment and yeah. it fully does, especially somewhere like New Zealand. Yeah, you can be lucky, but you you have you have to create that luck too, and mm. you really have to have that kind of attitude. The only full time successful artists I've ever known have have been like that. Like nothing else matters. Essentially, like it sounds very selfish, and it is. You have to be kind of selfish, but you can also find a way to have. You know, a life and a relationship and everything else that works. Ask <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but it, it, you know, requires a commitment from both of you. Like, so the really the main reason. You for mean both of you is in terms of your, your partner yeah, as well. 100%. Yeah, they are got to know that. Oh, absolutely. That. Um, they've got to be on that journey with you or it's never going to work. Mm. Like, no doubt about it. You know, they have to be almost as committed as you to making it work. That's and, so true. And the reason that it worked for me to a point is, um, is that the anchor. Had so much faith and belief in me as an artist, and we were prepared as a as a couple to make sacrifices on behalf of that, you know. Mm. So like a lot of our relationship has been be working full time and us living on one wage, while I bust my ass to make art, and then then you make a whole lot of money if you're lucky at, at certain points, and then that allows you to actually do things with it because it's hard, as as you would know, as most people know that. To just, you know, you, you both work, you have expenses, whether it's mortgages or rent and everything else, and shit gets in the way. And and it's so hard to actually really get ahead and save significant amounts of money.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that was fortuitous for, for us and that we could, you know, if I had a successful show or whatever, I made a bunch of money, suddenly you make 20, 30 grand, 40 grand in a week or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. And but you but just
1: spent X amount of time leading up to... Yeah, yeah. Bust, so you yeah. kind of go up and down. like yeah. You've got savings and it starts to dwindle yeah. and stuff like that. But we've always been good in that we didn't have credit card debt or anything like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, and then, yeah, yeah then it's so it, that enabled us to do things like buy this house. Like when we bought this house, you know, I'd had a couple of successful shows and we had 50% deposit for the house. You know, we dropped 70K on the house. Amazing which you just can't do <laughs> at that age, you know, generally. Yeah. Um, but that only happens because, you know, I had someone like Bianca that was prepared to make those sacrifices as well and to I had think. that full belief in me and, you know, and all that. And uh. that that's how it works, man, you know. Yeah.
0: So when you got back from Sri Lanka, you met Bianca, you moved back to New Zealand after Yeah, so
1: I was in Sydney at that point Yeah. we, yeah. we were in Manly and okay. yeah, we met in 2000 and oh, at the end of 2000, oh. just... Post the Sydney Olympics. Um, oh, so sorry.
0: The no, that's from, right. The dropped, didn't? didn't <laughs> it's all my ball. fault. No, <laughs> that's all
1: my fault. Just blame
0: me. I don't edit this usually, so <laughs> I'm a so people will think that I've edited <laughs> a part out or some shit. No, no. It's um, all good, so. Yeah. So you got back and you were living in in Sydney with. Yeah. Yeah. So Bianca and I met, and then we spent probably about a year and a half in Sydney. Like, and you were, and at that stage, I'm like. Were you like, okay, I'm, I'm going to like... Oh, no, you, you're you going back to New Zealand to do your master's. Yeah, well,
1: I, I hadn't made up my mind, mind at, that, okay. at that stage. So yeah. we met and um, we were quite happy living in Manly, you know, and, and you know, you fall in love yeah. and, like, life's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, at that point, I mean, we're talking now 2001, you know, when we're together and we got a little flat together and we're living in Manly. You know, I hadn't really made any art, like, seriously since you know, kind of 97. Um, I mean, I'd been traveling all that time and I'd been doing drawings and writing and stuff like that. But, you know. I you still been, had that confidence within you oh, or something? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I, I, like it's like an absolute faith, you know, and whether it's faith in myself or mm. I don't know, but I just I just knew. I was like, well, that's my future. That's what I'm going to do, of course, you know. And I was just completely committed to it, but it just wasn't the right time at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it got to a point then where it was like, oh, I feel like I need to you know I need to get back in the game and get refocused you know and um and we were sort of making decisions about what we wanted to do with our lives and so when I'd sort of said, "Oh look, I'm thinking I'd quite like to go back and do my master's next year and she was supportive of that, so yeah. we decided we'd moved back to New Zealand for two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was kind of good at the time, like. Yeah. And so we came back for two years, oh like two three. Did your masters for two years? Yeah. How did you, like? I've always thought about
0: restudying as well, mm. and what that would be like being a mature student or, or an oh, older student, better. you
1: know? And yeah. I was what a was much that? better student than I ever was when I was younger. Oh, way better. <laughs> We're yeah, not yeah. heroin. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> only sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, I was a way better student, like. I mean, you know, yeah. you go to university after school and you're sort of doing it for yourself, but you're also kind of doing it because you, you know, you have these obligations, whether it's to your parents or whatever, and this idea about what you need to do when you finish school in order to be successful, blah, 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 you know. yeah, yeah. So you so kind of fall into it. So Masters is different because it's really yeah. for you. Yeah, it, it was totally for me. No one else yeah. was telling me to do it. There's yeah. no expectation by anyone else. And so you go back with a different mindset, you know, and I was far more committed to what I was doing and yeah, and... Um, it was really good. It was a worthwhile process, yeah. You know, and it got my head back in the game. And what school did you go to? AET. Oh yeah, cool. And it was cool too because I, I taught on the degree program while I was doing that. Uh, so that was kind of fun. I was teaching yeah. like first year degree students, and that was kind of fun, you Sweet. know. So um yeah, quite enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, you know, by the end of it, I was over it. though. I was like writing a thesis and all the pressure and you know trying to make enough money and all that. And B yeah. was quite stressed, like she was working for Karen Walker at that time. And yeah. Um, in the design room and it was quite a stressful environment you know. so and we had no money ever you know, yeah so it was like two years of being skint and like lots of pressure and um, but it was good it was worthwhile did and you ever have breaking points in those in those time where you just or was it all no nah, you just well the, because the, it was a finite period you know yeah. when you know it's only for a certain amount of time you can just push through yeah you know so we always knew that we'd go traveling again that was the whole thing at the end was like well We'd met in Sydney and so Bianca had really only got as far as Sydney, you know, and she'd never really travelled further. So I'd always talk to her about Sri Lanka and said, man, I've got to take you there, that place is next level. Um, And so we'd talked about travelling. So then at the end end of that, end of the Masters, we went back to Manly. Mm. To save money because it was way easier to save money there than it was in New Zealand because you get paid way better and you can live at the beach, you know, and have a lifestyle. And, w- and was your idea go back to Manly and start your art career? Uh, not at so, that stage. No. We wanted to travel. Okay. So again, I was kind of like, well, you know, <laughs> I'll put it off for him. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things like it's a mindset too. Like, yeah, you're putting off the kind of professional practice side, like, you know, having a studio and working your ass off on a show and all that. But at the same time, like, mentally i felt like i was re-engaged if that makes sense you know yeah even though i was like oh we're gonna go traveling now um in my own mind it was slightly different is that the mentality that art school like you got from art school is that
0: okay this is the artist this is kind of what artists do is that they create work create shows
1: and then Ah, i don't know like it's a funny one with art school because i've had this conversation with a lot of young artists because like Mm. i um when was this when we moved back to new zealand in 2009, um, you know, since we, we've kind of been back in New Zealand since then, well, yeah. we had two years away and I've had yeah. six months doing few projects overseas. But um, I, I, I was asked to be a mentor on the Artists Alliance mentorship program at the time. Cool. And it's mentoring young artists who've just finished their degrees or masters. And what really shocked me is I had this young woman that I was mentoring um, who literally just finished a master's degree And I just couldn't believe that she had absolutely no idea about professional practice, like about what it actually takes to be an artist and what you have to do in order to be an artist. What did you think? I don't know (laughs) what what you thought. I mean, the thing is, so, I mean, the reason I say this is because you were talking about, you know, what art school sort of prepares you for. Yeah, yeah. The main thing art school does is teaches you how to develop concepts and turn those concepts into bodies of work. Mm. You know, if I had to put it into a nutshell what it doesn't teach you is then how to actually be a professional practicing artist, which to me is just ludicrous, especially when you're doing a master's. I can understand that during an undergraduate degree, but people who come back to do a master's, they're obviously saying I'm pretty committed to being an artist here. And yet there was so little effort to actually prepare these young people to what the role of being an artist actually looked like, like how to go and get a gallery, like all those seemingly simple things. Like she had no idea, you know.
0: So and you told that, it?
1: That was shocking for me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I helped there a lot with that, and I've helped a lot of people over the years with the kind of fundamentals of developing a career as an artist, you know, beyond the the things you do in the studio, you know, developing yeah. ideas, technique, all that sort of stuff, like the yeah. actual fundamentals of building a career. So what are the... what? Are the, what are the, I'm the young artist. I'm the, <laughs> well, the young... I mean, part artist. of it is an attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to treat it like... Like a serious career and a job, you know, and that you have to have all those boring things like discipline and hard work. You know, like that's the only thing that's going to get you there. Mm-hmm. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have discipline and the ability to work hard and make sacrifices, it doesn't matter. You know, um, yeah. So it's all of those things, you know. Yeah. And then like, what just about the professional without, side and the yeah, like how commercial to get a gallery and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, like. How do you get a gallery? Well, it's not easy, you know, and it takes time. Like, the yeah. first things How you is, have to do yeah. is, is make sure you've got the work to begin with and the work that you think can stand up, you know, because mm. so many young artists will just rush in and they'll just be like, oh, take me on, take me on, you know, here's my book. And, like, the first thing I'd always say is don't go into the gallery and talk to them about it. Like, say, oh, here's my, you know, take a book in or some images to show them. It's so unprofessional. Oh, really? Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. Go, first what are they of all, like? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing is look around at all the galleries and look at the art they show and the artists they represent and see where your work is best going to fit. So there's no point in chasing a gallery that shows work that's so unlike yours or mm-hmm. shows photography or whatever it might be. So the first thing is see where you might fit, you know, see where your work's going to fit. Um, and, you know, you, you're, you're a young artist, uh Generally, you know, the galleries, you have tiers, levels, you know. There's low tier, mid tier, top yeah. tier, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a 21-year-old straight out of art school, you're not going to get taken on by a Langsford, you know, Michael Lett. You're just not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So don't even go there, you know. You'll look like an idiot. <laughs> you need to build a career first, you know what I mean. Mm. And like, so if you find a couple of galleries that you think you might fit, go to some openings first. Don't talk about your own work. Don't, you know, just go there and look, talk to some people, talk to the the gallerists, but don't mention your own work. Let them see your face, you know. Let them see that you're actually interested in their gallery. What gallerists hate is that some person rocks up with their fucking folio (laughs) and they've never seen them before. And they're like, they want to show in my gallery and they've never set foot in my gallery before. Do they even know who I show? Do they know anything about this gallery? Do you know what I mean? Like little things like that. Go, go there a bunch of times, let them see your face, talk to them before you go in there and talk to them about your own work, you know, then, <laughs> then you message them, email them and say, Hey, look, you know, I really like what you guys are doing. Can we set up a time? Can I come in and talk to you, show you some work? You know, it's, you've got to act like a professional, you know, if, if you're in any other, any other field you're not just going to rock up to the boss who you don't even know and you've never met with some shitty images and say, you know, take me on. Like it just, there's all of those things. What if you
0: think your images are the best, you know,
1: and. Yeah, but they're but not. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not. Hey, they're yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and that's part of it too, is like recognizing where you're at and how far you've got to go, like all those little things, you know. Um, so you've got to act like a professional, you know, even if you're not at that stage, you know, and think like a professional. You know, and it's a long game. It's not a short game. You're not gonna get overnight success. You know, it's like the great quote, it took me, you know, thirty years or whatever to be an overnight success. And it's true. You know, the artists that you see breaking out, it's like, oh my god, they've they're doing all this stuff and they've you know, they've only you know, they've just happened overnight or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like there's a decade of work going in behind that first, you know. So like, do the work, get to know the people and don't even Don't even put yourself out there until you firmly believe you're making work that's good enough. That was my attitude. You know, like I had faith in myself and I always knew that was what I was going to do. But I, for a long time, I just felt I'm not ready yet. My work's not ready. I'm not ready, you know. And when I'm going to go out there and put myself out there, I'm going to make sure that I'm it's ready. The shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, I say period. that, and I still look back about when I first got taken on. I'm like, oh fuck, that work is fucking terrible. Well, I mean, not really terrible, but I'm like, oh, shit. you know, I still look at Wait. So, is this
0: all from experiencing, or is this yeah. is this all the stuff that you're saying? Like, how was your first mindset when you came out of masters and you started your art career and you
1: try well, to get into I, galleries? When I stuff? finished my masters, so like I was saying to you earlier, we had I had. You know, I was very fortunate. I had a lot of work purchased, and and um, and you know what that enabled us to do was be like, sweet, we can go back overseas. Um, (laughs) But the 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 good thing was, I you know, I went and I took a bunch of paintings, um, and we we developed a good rapport. You know, I was invited around for dinner to take some work and to you know, we talk about art and we developed a good relationship, and he you know really liked my work, and so pardon me that's right um, <laughs> then when we went back over to Sydney like we were going to be in Sydney saving money so we can go further afield yeah. go to Sri Lanka etc you know I was I was making paintings and working as well and sending paintings back over to New Zealand which were basically being acquired by the trust oh amazing so it enabled us to save a bunch of money that year and everything and then so when we went that next year that like I finished my masters at the end of 03 we went back to Sydney 04 and at the end of 04 we went to go to Sri Lanka together and, you know, my, my plan at that stage was to like, you know, we'd made a bit of money, we'd saved money, but I'd sold a whole bunch of paintings bunch over, a, over a year or more. Yeah. And we how had, did, a, how did that work? Like did they
0: already say that they were going to acquire your paintings or you were just like making them and sending Well, I was just making them, them and then sending or, yeah, images. yeah images. And and
1: images at that stage. So there were, there were a couple of things. One, was that the trust had was sort of basically telling me that they were committed to fleshing out my presence in the collection, you know, for want of a better phrase. You know, so they'd got a bunch of work, they'd backdated a bunch of paintings going back a number of years to to give my, you know, the work that they had in the collection some timeline. And then they were kind of basically saying, well, for the next sort of while we're quite happy to continue to acquire paintings. And the other thing going on there, though, at the time, you have to remember is that I wasn't represented by a gallery. So, you know, I had the freedom to give good prices. I didn't have to worry about commissions to galleries and all that sort of stuff, um, which also then affects, you know, your price and everything. So they were in a position where they could get, you know, paintings for a good price, basically, which everyone wants. Yeah. Um, Wait, wait, can you remember how much you were selling paintings back then? Oh... I can't really remember a couple of thousand, maybe, yeah.
0: You know, depending on the work. And did you feel like, oh, this is like a lot of money or good, or like, how did
1: oh, well, it, I mean, it all felt good at that time, yeah, you yeah, know, because yeah. like I was young and yeah, it was just great to be making money off my art, <laughs> off your you art yeah. And yeah. um, but you know, I was prepared to give them a good price because mm-hmm. everyone was winning, I was winning and they were winning, and you know, if
0: did it, I'm assuming it felt like a big opportunity or, or oh, some absolutely. sort of right? It yeah, was- yeah, yeah,
1: well, especially at that point where I had no, you know, I didn't have a um. Like a, a ex- exhibiting career or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd done a degree and I'd done a master's, but other than that, you know, I was a totally unknown. I hadn't been showing in the galleries or anything, and so to have my work being acquired by you know what was then a very prestigious collection of New Zealand contemporary art, mm-hmm. you know, was fantastic, and it was going to open doors for me, you know, which it did. So then, I'm trying to think, I think it was, the, oh, might have been a couple of years later. So when we went, we went to Sri Lanka. Um, And the big curveball with that is, which we probably won't get into now because that's a podcast in itself, (laughs) is, you know, we arrived in Sri Lanka at the end of 2004 and um, we had, so I had some money, you know, like I was saying to you, I'd had a bunch 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 of work, we'd been selling, we'd been saving money Mm -hmm. and the plan was to go over there and because I'd already spent quite a number of, you know, quite a bit of time in Sri Lanka, like over three trips, you Mm -hmm. know, so I'd probably spent almost a year in Sri Lanka at that point, but I hadn't been back for three years because I'd been doing my master's yep. and things. But I had very good friends there and a family that I used to live with over there when I first started going became good friends with Siri who had the tea shop and so that they invited me back the following year and I lived with the family and I was learning to speak Sinhala and all that. So I had, you know, a bit going on over there and I thought, well, we had we got a bit of money. At that point, you know, Sri Lanka had been in civil war for 22 years. So, you know, there was no money spent on infrastructure. There was very little tourism and... Things were cheap. Mm. So I thought, well, maybe we could go over there and, and buy a little place and yep. live there for six months a year and I can work from there. And then I don't have to worry about having a job and trying to find time to paint and all that. I can just throw myself into painting for six months a year and then the other six months, you know, whether we go back to Sydney or whatever we do and we work a bit and I sell my paintings to Sir James or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And so we went over there and we and started. And did that sit with being Oh, hundred percent Yeah, we had a plan imagine. together. You know, of course, she wanted to travel. Yeah, and um, and that would also enable us and her too. Don't forget to have like six months a year just living in the tropics Mm. and doing whatever we want. Yeah, I was thinking about like what what she saw in her maybe path in career, like and how. Well, she's always been a designer, obviously, Um, and she was a qualified interior designer um, at that point. Yep. but she'd always sort of wanted to get into textile design and she was interested in fashion, you know, having been yeah. a model and gone yep. through all the fashion industry, worked for Karen. Um, so then it was like, well, that would allow her to just work on design and she wanted to make clothes and stuff. Okay. She grew up sewing, so she was good with yeah, that. Yeah. So she was just going to design and make clothes. and see the sewing machine in there. Yeah, <laughs> so um, that was the plan. So we went over there and we were my old mate Siri sort of showed us around a little bit of, you know, a few places we could look at. Cool. But the problem was at that point, um, you know, the, the, depending on whatever governments in charge, you know, the laws change around foreign ownership of land all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you could as a as a foreigner buy property in Sri Lanka at that point, but you had to pay basically hundred percent tax to the government. So on the property, yeah, yeah. So it just that made that it make sense because we didn't we didn't have that much money. Yeah, you know? okay. so it made it unaffordable. Like, I forget how much money we had, but we had yeah. a bit of money. Are they le- are they leased, like long lease or is it you actually own no, it? No, you forever? could buy it. Really. I I forget now whether it was 99-year lease or not, but you could buy the property and it would be yours as a deed and you could sell again. Okay. But you, like I say, I mean, if if you were going to spend 15K on the property, you had to spend 15K on tax as well. Wow. So it put it out of reach for us. Okay. So we were kind of at that point like, oh, what are we going to do now? And then the... Boxing Day tsunami happened, you know. <laughs> sure. And as I said, I mean, that's another podcast in itself. Okay, yeah. So I won't get into all the details of that because yeah. it's, it's major. Yeah. I mean, I'm writing a book about it. So, okay. you know, there's a, there's a bit of traction there. Yeah. Um, and then that, you know, kind of threw a curveball at us, as you can imagine. But we decided pretty straight away that we weren't going to leave, you know, because everyone else left and it was pretty hardcore. So we had a pretty intense time, I must say. Um, but... The upshot of that was that Siri and and Janti, like my family, basically said, "Well, we want to give you a piece of our family land to build a house on." Yeah. Um. So that's what we did. So we built a little house. Wow. You know, is that uh, what well, is that easy to do over there? Well, yeah, because I don't, you know, Just because essentially we don't own it. Mm. You know, it's like it's on my 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 good. Like my family yeah, over so there, on, yeah. it's on their land, yeah. so essentially it's their house. I mean, yeah. and that was part of the thing. Is you that, pay to build it, eh? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, part of the thing at the time was that, well, it was going to be a great situation for everybody because, like, Siri and Janti and the daughter Oma, um, that I lived with all that time and that I'm very close with. Uh, Siri and Janti are getting old now, you know. They, they're Siri'd be how would I He'd be 25 years older than me, maybe, you know, he's in his 70s now, yeah. Um, And they work super hard. Like they've got this tiny little tea shop, smaller than my studio, and it's just basically where the locals, like the fishermen, local fishermen, go in the morning for like bread and dal, and and the local tuk tuk drivers go and have a cigarette and a cup of tea, and you know that. And it's subsistence living, but I mean they're up at like three a.m. seven days a week, like Janti's cooking dal, making hoppers, you know, for the shop, and and they're pretty old, and it's just enough to get by, you know. Yeah. And so I thought, well, then it, it means that. They've got another form of income if we're not there yeah, so if we're can. not living there they can rent out our little place and yes. you know that's an easy way for them to have make some income, especially as they're getting old. So it was a win-win for everybody cool. Um, so yeah, we did that and basically lived in that house for like six months a year for like the next four years or so. and you did do your art from there. yeah, you created totally. yeah so how did you get once- your first show like how did you so how did that come about once that first season, the tsunami season. The house started getting built later, but, um, I mean, that season was just nuts. You know, there's no time or headspace to do any making any okay, art. Yeah, it was yeah. just shifting rubble and, like, dealing helping with the it, stress of the people. situation yeah, and yeah. everyone's fear and anxiety, and, you know, it was a pretty intense time. A lot of death, a lot of, like, it was, just, you, you have no idea. It's like a post I wouldn't, course. yeah, I wouldn't. Have, but. So there was all that, and that was six months of really intense time. So we went, after that, we'd been there six months, after the tsunami it was full on and we were really exhausted by the end of it and just like emotionally physically exhausted and we were on it we had our tickets somewhere to London so we were like quite happy to just go to some normal civilization for a while like without helicopters and mm. death and just fear constantly and everyone that's all they ever talked about so when we got there we were like oh it's a kind of a relief to be away from that for a while and how's this we'd been in London fuck I don't know three or four weeks and right where we lived and where we took the tube and everything was the London bombings. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, You're just like right. in the war zone. Seriously. So before we knew it, there were helicopters overhead again and like SWAT teams and fear and craziness. I mean, that day that it happened, it was on the line that Bianca took to get to work and everything and, and um, all the phones were down and we couldn't contact each other and um, I basically just set off from our flat Towards where Bianca worked, which is off Oxford Street, it's a long way, and I mean, to the, see whole she, of, the whole of yeah. London was on the footpath. Basically, every shot, every work shut down, and no transportation. All the tubes were shut, all the buses. So there was just like ten million people on the footpath, basically the whole of London, trying to get home. And I walked to go to her work, and how's this in a city of what twelve million? We bumped into each other on the footpath, like halfway there or something. It was like crazy. So, um, oh that was, that was, I guess good. you're
0: looking also, you're looking oh, yeah, for her, yeah, you know, totally,
1: you're yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, so that wasn't, that made it hard cause then suddenly we're in a, you know, what felt like a war zone again or, you know, um, so we toughed it out, but then we were kind of quite happy to get back to Sri Lanka again after that. Okay. But, um, but yeah, so then once we got back to Sri Lanka, it wasn't too long after that, that our house was finished and then we could move in and then I started in earnest, yeah, making artwork. Yeah. And so for those next few seasons, I just painted and, and, um, so quite a bit of work, you know, to the trust and all that. And then we came back in to New Zealand in 2007. Again, we kind of weren't expecting to. We went back to Sydney and we were like, oh, maybe we should go back to New Zealand for a little while. And and it was quite handy. My auntie, um, who lives in the city, she lives on Key Street, um, and she lives in, like, his cool apartment. Like, she's funky as she's a cool, cool, cool Jake. Yeah. And they actually had another apartment in the building that they were renting and they could give to us, so we... Yeah. We stayed there, but we were only back for probably only a few months initially when we went. Oh, not ready to be back in New Zealand, <laughs> so we stayed for about six months, and that was it. But but I had a bunch of good work, and so what I did at that point was I had a three or four galleries that I thought, oh yeah, I, I think I can work with those guys. I like what they do, and um, but I'd been out of the New Zealand art scene for so long, I didn't really know anybody, you know, any you know yeah. any of the gallery directors or did anything. you take and, your own advice in? Well, I'd, I'd already, knew I already, I did, I had a look around and <laughs> yeah. I kind of knew where I was at and what yeah, I okay. sort of thought, oh yeah, I think I can fit in this level and with these galleries. And- did you have anything with like, I don't know,
0: like imposter syndrome or something like that you were ready at that point to um, take it there? I mean, you I think
1: were- everybody has a bit of that to a certain extent, mm. you know. I mean, it's, it's really just that voice of self-doubt, isn't it, you mm. know. So, I, I mean, I'm sure that was, there, there was a bit of that. But at the same time, I just sort of went, well, you know, why not, you know, just get out and give it a crack, you know, like you've got nothing to lose, you know. Mm. Um, so I contacted a few galleries that I thought could work and um, just so said, oh, this is who I am and, you know, um, and just, and it, again, it was good that I had a whole lot of work that had been acquired for the trust and I could say, you know, I've been, you know, I've got work in the trust and da-da-da-da-da. Mm. And so, you know, I had a couple of meetings, a few people to go and meet with, you know, so I, I took images, I took some paintings and I went and met with a few galleries. And then, um, and then, yeah, like a week or two later and we were just getting set to go back to Sri Lanka. Um, actually getting set to get married and then go back to Sri Lanka. Um, yeah, I got contacted by one of the, maybe two of the galleries actually and um, that were... Can you be a part of more convention. than one gallery? No. Oh, really? Oh, well, you can, but not like Sydney, not in Auckland or something, Okay, you know. So once a gallery, you're partnered with a gallery. So like the way how does it, it work? The way that it works, <laughs> like if, if you're at, if you're at, you know, that kind of professional end where you're showing in legit, you know, reputable dealer galleries, yeah. you know, then you, you'll you get, you'll have representation from that gallery, you know. So most sort of decent galleries, they'll represent, you know, somewhere between say 12 and 20 artists, you know, 25 at the most. Yeah, okay. Um, because you can only you can only represent so many artists because you've only got so many months in the year to have exhibitions and all and that so. sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so most... Galleries, depending on who the gallery is and that, you'll have a show with that gallery once a year or once every 18 months, roughly, Mm -hmm. you know. And so, you know, you have, say, you know, 18 artists that you manage and each has a show once a month, you know, like for a month, every 18 months, roughly, or whatever, you know, depending on the gallery. And and then, so let's say that gallery is in Auckland. Really... They will look after all your interests, pretty much in the North Island. Like you could, you could have a gallery in Wellington as well, okay. and a lot of galleries. So you mean they have them. a they have a spread of yeah. Well, the con- so I mean, it's one of those things. Like a good gallery works on your behalf, not just when you're having a show. Do you know what I mean? Like they're you, always trying to sell. That's the, the, the yeah. if you're with a good dealer, their their goal and their their role is to not just sell your work, but to place your work in the right collections, to promote you as an artist, to get mm. like curators, you know, the people who, who make or break your career, like the curators and so on, to get them interested in your work so that hopefully you're getting your works curated into exhibitions, whether it's at the Auckland mm. City Art Gallery or, you know, something like that, public. They're kind of like your manager. Yeah, their their managers, they're like a manager. Right? Yeah. yeah um, but, you know, some are better than others. You know, yeah. some are really good at clinching the sale. Some aren't. Some are great at working with collectors and, and curators. Yeah. Some aren't. You know, like they will have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, but, you know, your your hope is that they'll not just sell your work, but they will build your profile and your career and then get the right people interested in your work. Yeah. You know?
0: And you've been with many different galleries. Yeah, i time. with a fair few. Yeah. And how does that process of going like, I'm going to, Finish up with this, these people here. Well, it's always it's like tricky breaking a rela- relationship.
1: Yeah, almost. it's always difficult. Well, because the thing is, you know, with with the art world, it's quite different to other, you know, careers or other professions, and that a lot of it is is about those relationships and building relationships of trust. You know, and that's key, um, and that's always been something I'm really big on is like making mm-hmm. sure you have really good working relationships and have good communication and all that sort of stuff. Like that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take those relationships seriously. So I'm not one to just chop and change galleries because I think it's so important to have those relationships. Um, but, you know, in the end, if the gallery's not working for you, you know, you I mean, you've got you to pay voice, the rent. Yeah. You've got to pay the mortgage. Like, you mm. know, they've got to not just sell your work but like build your career. Yeah. But it's a two-way thing, you know. And that's the tricky thing with being an artist is like it's – it's just all encompassing, you know. It's every aspect of your life, you know, yeah. it's all the time—from like social media to making the work to promoting to, you know, communication, documentation. Do you feel like
0: even at this point of your career, you know, that you've got it kind of in a good wrap, uh, you know, a good system, or yeah,
1: I mean, it, but it, it just changes constantly. You know, if you'd asked mm. me that a few years ago, it would have been yeah, one hundred percent. Like, yeah. you know, I had a great. Um, gallery director here in Auckland that I was working with who was just fantastic and she really was behind me and and really creating opportunities and, and opening doors for me and then I had a great gallery in Sydney and my directors in Sydney were just amazing humans who I just had total faith in and yeah. you know great working relationship with and, and again I was like selling work to the right people and but you know then things change you know then COVID came along and that disrupted you know quite a few things and then you know the art world—it's oh, a funny, funny place. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. What is it about the art world? That's so- <laughs> oh, it's a love-hate relationship okay. always. What do you, know? you love about it? Uh well, you know, it's full of interesting, like-minded people that are passionate about what they're doing. You know, and are prepared to to make sacrifices for what they love. You know, mm. are you talking about the artist and just well, everyone in the everyone game. Yeah. to a certain extent? You know, yeah. um, the dealers, the artists, yeah, the- most dealers. Not all, you yeah. know, most dealers are in it because they love it and they're passionate about, you know, fiercely passionate about artwork mm-hmm. and about their artists and believe in what they're doing. But, you know, not all. Some are a bunch of wankers, you know, and they're in a privileged position and whatever it might be. And, yeah. um, But, you know, it's a tricky place, the art world. Like, What's the difficulty? You, well, there's always a lot of difficulties, you know. There's a lot of politics of, like, who's getting opportunities and who's not as to, and why. And it's certainly not always about the work. Um, yeah. I won't get into it, but there's you know a lot of things about like the current zeitgeist um, that will allow and enable opportunities for some over others, you know, for various reasons that I won't get into. Yeah. But so you know, it's always tricky. Like you're dealing with all that, and um, and the you know the flippancy of collectors and the market and all that, and but all you can focus on is making the best work you can. You know, that's yeah. the. My mantra was always like, well, there's all the stuff I can't control. The one thing I can is making the best work I can, you know, and putting all my time and energy into making the best work that I can make. But even that's not enough sometimes because there's other things that just get in the way. Yeah, like how
0: do you deal with like knowing that this –
1: that that like why is that person getting – Yeah, but you can't think about that because it'll eat you up because that's the art world. And that's the problem is that there's a lot of that infighting and bitchiness. and And you can't let it eat you up. (laughs) <laughs> well, you you just can't, you know, because yes. otherwise you just won't keep doing it, mm. you know. But it's it's hard sometimes for sure. Mm. Um, and then, like I say, like COVID was more, yeah, threw what a was, few curveballs. Like, is well, that been the an, most on difficult time? So many levels, like with lockdowns and so on. But also, um, you know, I think that was a time when a lot of art dealers just went. Oh,
0: do Who's I want to keep
1: putting myself through this? Mm. You know, whether it's the lockdowns and the uncertainty of owning a business in in those times or. It's all the other changes happening in the art world about what's fashionable and what's not. And, you know, like, and this is what happened with my gallery in Sydney was that, you know, you get things happen in the art world that are reflective of changes that are happening within society in general as to, like, what work should be selling and should not be selling. Um, and so then a lot of dealers will be like, oh, well, if this is what's happening now and this is the fashion, then these are the artists that I need to be showing. And they'll make those changes and they'll drop a bunch of artists and they'll get a bunch of artists that because they know they can sell their work because that's the fashion or whatever. Mm. Um, but the dealers with integrity don't tend to do that. You know, they go, no, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in my artists and what yeah. I'm showing and my vision and I'm just going to keep going. Um, but, you know, I think after a couple of years of COVID and some of the other things, some of the dealers, like my dealers in Sydney just went, oh, I just don't want to keep doing this, you know, because mm. they weren't prepared to pander to, you know, current fashions and mm. what have you. Um, yeah. Which made it more difficult for them to. S- yeah, I mean, again, I'm, 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 kind of dancing around a topic that I don't really want to talk okay, about. Okay. So that's <laughs> yeah, why I'm not get getting into it because it, it never comes out right. <laughs> um, like, it really, really doesn't, and yeah, yeah. I don't want it to. You don't want to bat You don't want to talk. Well, I shit. don't want to sound like a person I'm not. Mm. You know, because yeah. um,
0: yeah. Anyway, it's hard because yeah, I mean, i listening to it, it's like then then it's just sounding like
1: um it just sounds like like, sour
0: grapes and you know like oh why would i want to get into that world
1: you know but yeah oh look that's why there's a yeah uh, i mean the thing is i'm not going to sugarcoat it like being an artist is tough yeah and the art world can be ruthless how do you feel like like the digital landscape you know because you've kind of feel like you've lived
0: through through the big changes oh definitely yeah yeah the digital landscape like how is that
1: How's it changed? Change,
0: how's that changed you and how you create and? and well, it hasn't really
1: said. changed how I create at all yeah. because I, I, I'm all about analog. I like, mm. I love, seeing the mark of a of the hand, you know. And I'm not interested in creating digital art. I'm not interested in fucking so not interested in NFTs or <laughs> yeah. digital video art, any of that. Yeah. Just yeah. Has, does not do anything for me mm. at all, you know. Um, what I love about art is is. Seeing things made by hand, mm. and like in a, even more so in a digital age, you know, yeah, and where yeah. images are so easily and readily repeated. I like seeing things that are that are unique, that are made by hand, that show the mark of the hand, and all that. To me, that's one of the, the joys of art, you know. Mm. Um, so it hasn't affected me in that sense, yeah. But I mean, what it's affected everything about professional practice and that, social media, all that mm. sort of stuff. The pressure on artists with social media, I found really shit. Mm. you know there's just felt like that constant pressure to have a presence online and to be promoting yourself and to putting up new work all the time and all that and i hated that
0: did you follow it did you to a point
1: well because yeah. you kind of have to because you get pressures from your galleries as well because they want you to have a presence online and you know the more followers you have the more exposure for your work and then the more other curators superficial curators it get interested and in all that sort of stuff mm. so it's definitely a part of you know the digital digital sphere in the art world is huge how did you not now? You're not, you're not as much? I don't give just, a shit. I was pulled yeah. away completely because mm-hmm. I'm just not interested. And like a year ago, that would have caused me a lot of anxiety. But now I just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that all came about like we were touching on earlier over the course of a few years of a bunch of different things happening. And, um, you know, it kind of started initially in Sydney and Bianca and I moved back to Sydney in 2016 and 17 for two years because in 2015 I did a big thing called the Three Oceans Project that I conceptualised myself and then just went out and did basically. And I, I, um, I wanted to create three exhibitions around my relationship with the ocean, you know, um, in partic- three particular locations that I'd spent a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And so I basically looked in Sri Lanka at who the top gallery in Sri Lanka was, you know, that was doing interesting things and and Saskia Fernando Gallery who were like showing in Dubai and London and doing all sorts of stuff and really interesting. And I just contacted Saskia and said, hey, look, this is who I am. This is my work. This is my history with Sri Lanka. This is the project that I want to do. You know, I want to come over to Sri Lanka next year and create a whole body of work in Sri Lanka and then show it in Colombo as part of this Three Oceans project. You know, are you keen? And, yeah, she was keen and we had a couple of good, um, uh, good <clears throat> like, what did you used to call them before Zoom meetings? <laughs> Skype. <laughs> Skype. Skype. Yeah. Skype, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um and then yeah, so twenty fifteen I went and I spent um time in Sri Lanka. I made a show there and we had a show at Saskia's gallery in Colombo, which was really cool. And then I went from there to Sydney and I did the same thing in Sydney and um and so the the, the point that I was getting to is like in Sydney, um At that stage, a woman called Diana Palmer, who used to work with Sullivan and Strump, which is one of the big galleries in Sydney, who I got to know through the Melbourne Art Fair because I used to get flown over by the Melbourne Art Foundation every two years to go and take VIP tours around the art fair and look after all their big clients Mm -hmm. and take them and talk about the work. And they'd put me up in the towel and pay me heaps of money and I'd go over every two years and do that. It was pretty cool. (laughs) And that was like the reason I said yes to that initially when they asked me, was because i thought well i want to break into australia that's going to be my open door Mm. go around and i'll get to work with all the dealers you know and show them i'm competent by taking important clients to their booths and talking articulately about the work hopefully (laughs) and um and that did it opened doors for me i got to know the dealers and the right people and and diana who was working for sullivan strump at that time she then branched out and started doing her own thing and she was putting on like kind of shows in sydney without a physical space like putting things on and mm. she was really well connected and i had a sent some work over to her and we had a couple of sort of shows with other artists in various places and sold really well and sold work to some important collectors so then in 2015 when i was going to go do that she was like oh, i think i'm going to open my own space so we can do something and so i said well i'm going to come over and do the three oceans project let's do that and mm. she said well actually why don't we do it at sydney contemporary which is like the, the, the big art fair in Sydney, it's a major. Yeah, at that point it was every two years, but it's ne- now it's annual. Um, so that was an incredible opportunity. So, yeah, I followed up Sri Lanka with Sydney and made a body of work there and we had a solo show at Sydney Contemporary, which was really successful. It's basically sold out the show pretty much.
0: So did you do three different separate bodies of work? Yeah, said, eh? yeah. And how long did it? Did it- roughly take you to do a body of work like
1: well i was i mean i was under the pump because i really only had a few months oh shit so i had to work my butt off i I just work all day every day you know um
0: is that hard with the time like is that good for you or is that like um i've always quite
1: liked a bit of time pressure mm. you know it, it there's no time to procrastinate i mean you find time to procrastinate of course but um but no i quite like a bit of pressure I, I I work quite well under pressure, um, but that was a little bit too much, you know. Like, I usually like I like to have like six to nine months to make a show, you know. So that was pretty full on. How much is a show? Like you get to decide. Obviously, depends the on size the gallery. Of your depends on it, all sorts of things. And stuff. Yeah, like I don't like shows that are too full. I okay. like to have a bit of breathing space around works and stuff so it depends on the size of the gallery and and the works I'm making and all that. You, you set know? the prices or does the gallery set it with you? Well, no, it's How one of those it so it's one of those things like it's kind of like your career dictates your pricing. So as you move up in your career and you start showing with more reputable galleries and your work is acquired by certain collections then your value goes up, mm. you know? So you sort of set your work, but really your career dictates. So when you're a young artist, even if you're showing with a, a fairly good gallery, you're still going to be a bit cheaper. But As you become more successful and your career develops, then your prices go up, right? It's Hopefully. so interesting. It's such a like, it is a world of oh, its own. absolutely. So I mean, and that's where like, you know, scale of the work and all that has some reference on pricing. But, yeah. you know, you can have an artist that's got, you know, 30 years of, you know, uh, making art in galleries and has a well-established career, has works in major public collections and all that. So they might have a painting that's 20 centimetres by 20 centimetres that, that is- took them half an hour that's worth 50K. Yeah. And then you might have a painting that's two by two metres that took three or four months to make and is worth five grand, you know. Yeah. And it's all of those factors that are going to influence pricing.
0: It's so interesting because I'm like, oh, what you know, let's say like, there was no history behind um, a Michelangelo painting. You took it into a gallery
1: now, yeah,
0: you know, and how much value that would have to them. But mm-hmm.
1: it, yeah. well, I mean, it's a tricky one with something like that because you know, you. This is the the funny <laughs> thing with the contemporary art world, as opposed yeah, okay. to looking at Renaissance or something. Okay, yeah, because it's so obvious. The, the level of skill okay. and time and and, and uh, you know just technique quality and yeah, technique yeah, yeah. in that. But even saying that, it would still not command anywhere near the price of a more established artist, even with all that. But it would shine for itself. You know what I mean? Like it's There's a bit of Yeah. There's a bit of wiggle room it. there. But okay. but generally it's all of those factors that will dictate your pricing. Yeah. yeah. What's the highest You've sold, sold um sold a paying for about fifteen k. Wow! Yeah.
0: Does that feel? Weird? Does that feel like
1: um, normal? Oh, at this point you, of your you life, you get used you know? to it. Yeah, you know it does. It, it's it's I don't know. It's always a funny one, you know. Like because um, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It's always a funny one. I don't know. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes um, it, it seems like a lot, and other times it doesn't seem like that enough. Much. Well, because you know, like <laughs> a, you can't help but look around. You what, know? what
0: other people were? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But you know, we're we're. It's it's. I've made decisions in my life, you know, and if I if I look truthfully, I mean, I could probably have a more successful career than I have now, but I've chosen to do other things like travel, and mm. because you know it's like we touched on before we started all this talking about where you equate value, mm-hmm. you know, and where do you for equate me, value? well, for me, money and possessions and stuff does not mean success or, you know what I mean? Like success is, is less tangible than that. And like I put value on, on time and, and experience far more than on, on stuff and money, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm only on this planet for a finite amount of time, you know, and, I want to make the most of it. And making making the most of it is not always about making the most money and having the most stuff, you know. Mm. And in fact, it's can be quite the opposite. You know, I find all that stuff can just weigh you down. I love that free feeling of freedom and just being out there in the world and being unencumbered by all that, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's again it's a balance because you have to have money and you have to have a certain amount of security because otherwise, you know, life's too full of anxiety. And and, and this is Part of, so when, you know, I spent years traveling and Bianca and I then spent years living in and out of Sri Lanka and everything. But, you know, we got to a point where it was like as ideal as that lifestyle sounded. And it was great. You know, we were in the tropics and I was painting and making money and all that. You want some sort of Well, you get to a point where you're like, you know, I, I knew a lot of people from living in places like that, that, you know, are in their 40s and 50s and just drifting and they've got no home and no, you know, and that's tiring after a while. You know, you're constantly having to kind of start again. You come back from Sri Lanka and you go to Sydney or whatever it is and you've got to find a place to live, you've got to find a job, you've got to save some money. Mm. And after a while, that's tiring. You get a bit older and you start going, I don't want to be in my 50s and have nothing, you know. So, you know, there came a point where we were like, well, we want to get out, get, you know, come back and... Anchor. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. again, it's hard as an artist because I always thought, I can't have a mortgage You know, I I don't want the pressure of having to service a mortgage as an artist.
0: Like the pressure to go, I have to be making, I have to be making. Well, it's
1: not even having to be making. I always felt like I have to be making anyway. Okay. You know, regardless of whether I needed the money or not, I have to make art. Like that was always, I was so driven. I have to do it. You know, it's not like a, a question of whether I do it because I need the money or I just have to do it. Yeah. But once you start then adding in all those financial pressures, it can then start to have an influence on the decisions you make around that practice because you start thinking before you start making a painting yeah but i have to sell this work and i, yeah. I need x amount of money and and whether you like it or not that's going to start dictating the decisions you make around the work you make you know yeah, totally yeah and yeah. that's not always a good thing i can tell you you know as soon as you start <laughs> thinking you, about what, that, what's the decision that
0: you had that you're not maybe dictated that
1: well no i just mean in that you know, once you start thinking about the money more than the work,
0: yeah,
1: it's never going to be a good thing. Yeah. you know, Do you fall into that at a point? Well, I think you do without being conscious of it. Yeah. You know, you just do because, you know, you worry about making any money. And then, you know, and then you feel like, oh, here's Bianca off to work every day. And, and you know, I'm here and playing with my crayons like a big kid, <laughs> you know. Um, and it is a bit like that. So you, you do like, that is going to influence your decision-making process to a certain extent, yeah. but you try not to let it. You know, you try to just have your focus on, like I said before, making the The best best work you can. Yeah, you're not thinking about I should make a work this color because it's going to sell better, or you know. But it's hard not to think like that sometimes. Is that why it's hard to see when maybe like
0: the like comparing someone else's art and it's trend like in a trend or something Mm. and it's working and other people want it? Like, yeah. I mean, how important is the story you think of the artist? Oh, I think and, all and that the, matters. The world, yeah.
1: But but the, the 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 thing is now, like you know, we're talking about digital age. Before, you know, you you just see all the images. You don't get the story, mm. you know. Um, but to collectors, that matters. The story matters, eh? Well, to some collectors, there's a lot. Okay. There are a lot of collectors <laughs> out there that are just box ticking. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, the name. Yeah, oh, the is name, like everything. You know, like, and this is. Partly again, what we were touching on before about the politics in the art world and all the stuff that you you can't control that you don't like, mm. you know, there's a lot of that. Okay, you know whether someone's a collector or not, a lot of people are quite insecure and they don't necessarily trust their own judgment, mm. and so they buy work because they know that their friends will know who's that who the work is and how much it's worth. And there's a lot of that mm. because you know you're talking about the art world or art like I'm to, when I say the art world, you've got. The immediate art world, the artists, the the curators, the dealers, but you've also got the collectors and all the other stuff on the periphery there that makes it all work. And a lot of those collectors are just insecure and they just want work on their walls that everybody, when they come around, knows whose work it is and how much it's worth because yeah. it's an ego battle. It's funny know. because they're the people
0: obviously – there's the demand, like if there's mm-hmm. no, if they're not buying or then there's no collectors, then there's yeah. no demand for the
1: But I mean, I, I, I suppose I should clarify that there, there are, when I say collectors, I'm talking about the people that, that like actually collect art that, that have, you know, Yeah. rather than like, say the, the mums and dads are the yeah. people that yeah, go, oh, yeah, oh totally. I've got a space for my wall. Like I'd love to have something nice for that. You know, I'm talking about the people that. That are seriously into collecting art. Yeah. Because you know, there's a lot of them. Yeah. But again, and, and I don't mean to be disingenuous because there are a lot of them that are very genuine and they buy the work they love mm. and are passionate about it and they educate you know, themselves the and of the all that, and yeah, all that stuff. Right? Yeah, 100%. And there are a lot of those people out there. Yeah. But, you know, there's also, probably less so in New Zealand, but overseas, there's a lot of, um, you know, the collectors just that have just got a lot of money and they, they just, it's a bit of an ego battle and they yeah. want, you know, and the, that's reflective of the rise in consultancy, you see. You go to something like Australia, it's very different to New Zealand. It's probably happening a lot more in New Zealand now, but a lot of the art world in, in Australia works around consultants. So you have all these people that their job is to advise collectors, collectors. on what to buy. <laughs> no shit. Oh, yeah. Well, no. so they well, be, because they the collectors, been. like I said, they don't necessarily they don't go out to value them. their own judgment. Mm. You know, they're insecure. Or they... They've got the money, but they don't have the time to go to all the shows. So sometimes the galleries know. are selling to the consultants probably. Oh no, also. a lot of the time. Yeah, a lot of Particularly overseas. Time. Okay. Well, so the the consultant will work with their client to to develop a collection, you know. So they'll be like, Oh, what are you what are you interested in? You know. And they'll take all the legwork out because they don't have the time to go to openings and that sort of stuff. She's and because problems. the consultant has good relationships with the galleries too. So like at that top end of the market. If you're a collector, even if you've got the money and you want to work from such and such an artist that's kind of hot right now, you probably can't buy it, whether you've got the money or not. Really? Yeah, because that gallery, their job, if you've got a hot artist whose work is really selling, their job is to, is to place that work in the best collections possible, in the places uh, that is going to benefit the, the, the artist art, and, the, and gallery the gallery the most. Yeah. So top of that tree are the public collections, You know whether it's in Sydney, it'll be you know, the Museum of Contemporary Art or yeah. the um, Art Gallery of New South Wales. Yeah. You know, in New Zealand, it'll be the Auckland City Art Gallery or Te Papa or whatever. Yeah. They're the top. So the, the, the dealer's ultimate goal is to place the work yeah. in those collections. Uh, Second to that would be the prominent collectors you know, who are known for their collection that have maybe even their own public museum you know, or whatever. And it goes down from there. Yeah. So even if you're a collector with a heap of money and you want a hot artist, you're you're gonna be placed in a long waiting list. Whereas a consultant who has five years of working with that gallery and their relationships established can push you further up that list. You know what I mean? But it's more than that too. It's then, like I say, they have the eye, they have the knowledge and they can say, Oh, you should get that uh, this artist, you know, for these reasons Mm. and you Know all that is it a weird feeling like the term hot artist?
0: Like, have you been in that position oh. of being the hot artist that you? I don't are, you know. know, I
1: don't know. <laughs> I've had moments you know, you know where I, I you, you work selling really well, and yeah. there seems to be a demand. And you know, how does that feel when you, oh, it you feels know? great? Of course, it does.
0: It's and how you, does it feel? It's what every artist wants when you're not in it, you know, like balancing that, like. I was it's like I was hot and now well things just change all the
1: time and <laughs> yeah. that's where you know we were saying earlier you can't you can't focus on that stuff that's yeah. not in your control you yeah. can't because it'll eat you up yeah on every level whether it's that or something else you know you've just gotta and I mean we're humans so it doesn't always work like that yeah. you know we're emotional beings particularly artists you know I'm a very emotional person you know and I yeah. wear my heart on my sleeve so like things do affect me whether I like it or not you know and for the better or for the worse Mm. but when i'm in that zone the main thing is just yeah the mantra is to just focus on the work is that your is that your why like what's your why with with why you do it all you think because i had to i'm driven like that's just what i've always wanted to do like there was never anything else i wanted to spend my time doing like as a career than making art and art is in paintings like i mean yeah anyway i'm a painter because i love color and i love i love paintings you know I'm not that interested in sculpture I'm not that interested in photography I appreciate it but Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in making it Um, but I think for me on a personal level like all my life I've had this real thing about meaning like searching for meaning you know in whatever I do and just in life in general Mm. you know and I have to feel like what I'm spending my time doing has a meaning beyond myself do you know what I mean and i think that's what always drove me to be an artist was like being involved in something bigger than myself and that that i felt like had meaning beyond myself you know and that i was part of something through history mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's something about tapping into that is that why you're into is that why you're so into like eastern
0: the eastern philosophies and and- i think so
1: yeah mm. yeah um i mean they're all yeah. intertwined i guess in yeah. that sense like it's a, about being in an, an inquisitive human being like mm. i'm interested in life i'm interested in death i'm interested in why we're here what we're doing yeah um and i'm interested in being involved in things that that are questioning those things you know that's been the core of my being you know yeah. always has been uh, i and like when i talk about like not being motivated by money it's like I could not be no matter how much money i'm getting paid i can't be involved in doing something every day that just feels like all i'm doing is making money yeah you know it just doesn't give me anything you know i need to feel like i'm involved in something that's that's whether it's creating meaning or like <laughs> meaning is the right word but like i've just always had this really inquisitive mind about like i say about life and death like it's something i think about a lot mm-hmm. and about purpose yeah and um and so art was like, yeah, there was this purpose beyond my myself and my own life and being, like I say, being involved in something that has this linear history, you know, that... And there's a great quote, and I should just grab it quickly. Yeah, you go yeah. Just <laughs> gently put that down. And it's because I just see this little book here, and I always, I've always kept
0: this out of a piece of... Is this your
1: book? This no. is my book, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like, got all sorts of stuff in it, okay. like notes and all sorts, of similes writing in the back. No. But this quote by Eric Fischel the American artist, okay. That I always really liked. It just relates nicely to what we're talking about. You keep about. it in your
0: book for a reason. You can't go back I mean, to this. I mean, this has or? been in
1: here for I don't know, 15 years, maybe wow. more. Okay. You have to come up with something where the purpose of life, which is also one of its greatest pleasures, is refining your consciousness to become ever more aware, ever more sensitive, ever more articulate is an extraordinary ambition. It's about what you leave behind. I've had these experiences where I'm looking at a painting and it's 400 years old and this guy is talking to me like he's in the room and we're sharing in this way and this is all being communicated through an object that seems to be palpably experiential. I'm actually experiencing a decision an artist made 400 years ago to make his hand go this way as opposed to that way. A move that changed the meaning of something. So there's, a, there's something about consciousness continuing, continuing within life even if it doesn't extend outside of it. That becomes compelling. That doesn't make me comfortable with dying, but it certainly makes me excited about following the terrain of life, which includes aging and disease and pain and loss, and seeing what you can learn from negotiating that terrain. And there's something well, in that. Yeah. What do you? Yeah. What do you get from that? What's? Uh... Well, you know, like I was saying about being involved in something meaningful and beyond you, bigger than you. Yeah. And in some, you know, something that extends through history and will extend beyond my life. Yeah. You know, because it's not. It's not just ends at you. It's it's also yeah. carrying on and... And like he says, it's not like it's something that makes you comfortable with dying, <laughs> but you're involved in something, you know, and negotiating that terrain, like you said, like thinking about those things, like thinking about why I'm here and what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be dead? Yeah. What does it mean to be putting my time into something? And if I'm alive for this short period, shouldn't I be putting myself, my time and energy into something meaningful, mm. you know? And Mm. I've always felt that so strongly within my being, like so strongly. And that's really dictated so many of the decisions I've made in my life, you know, Mm. beyond money and, and, you know, all that shit. You know, that doesn't mean much to me, eh? Yeah, it's interesting to think that because
0: it's like to somebody else that that could be their meaning, you know. Oh, totally. And if it is and
1: you truly believe it, then all power to you, Yeah. you know. Yeah. But I think a lot of of it. But then you know, we, we're we good at fooling ourselves, aren't we? You know, and I think so, a lot of the time we, we try and convince ourselves into thinking something doing. is because it's convenient or, you know, yeah. like with the money or whatever. Um, But really, do we believe it, you know? And I think that's where a lot of that kind of deep anxiety comes from, mm. you know, within people, because was, they're not really living true to themselves or, you know what I mean? Mm. I was I was listening to something re- recently and they were, he was talking about, like,
0: how we, we we literally make up our own purpose mm. to make us feel like better about yeah, yeah. our lives, you know, like yeah. I'm going to create this purpose and then it makes me feel like I'm in a direction to
1: do And But it. then I yeah. guess that's like you kind of have to do that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> like it's a self-defense mechanism, isn't it? Because mm. life is tough and yeah. um, and we don't have the answers and we know we're all going to die. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was thinking on the drive here, I was like, what is all this for? Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then once you start thinking like that, you can think about that for anything. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. like, so then anything is meaningless or anything is meaningful. Cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's definitely a mindset. Mm. And, and that's what's always driven me to make art. Like mm. I just, yeah, I, 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 I don't know how. And I say this in all sincerity, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to say this in a condescending fashion. I mean it absolutely in all sincerity. Like I don't know how people can go and work in a job nine to five, Monday to Friday, every week that they're not that into. How do you do that? Like, mm. and I'm, I'm being absolutely serious and I'm not trying to belittle what people do and quite the opposite, you know. are like, you? Is it because you're at this point now? Or have no, because I've always felt like that okay, all my yeah, life. Yeah, All my life. Yeah. I just don't know how you do that. Yeah. You know, I'd rather... Live in a cave and be half starving, and be doing something that I f- feel is meaningful yeah. than that, whether I'm comfortable and have money or not. Like absolutely, hundred percent, so fundamentally. Good. And that's know. the other thing, interesting thing to
0: think about like thing to think about is if, like, for you, for some reason, your story, how you got to have that within you, mm. you know, and whether other people haven't tapped into that or they don't have
1: that or. I mean, I think everybody does though, to a point, you know, like Mm. I don't think I'm a special case in that respect. You know, I'm not patting myself on the back, you know, (laughs) in any way. Um, I think we all do. Um, I think part of it is like a level of honesty that you have with yourself, Yeah. you know, Um, like I was saying before, we kind of try and fool fool ourselves, ourselves, you know, Um. but yeah, I just can't, I can't do that. Yeah. Mm. And like, I mean, Bianca would tell you like, I remember when we first got together. I remember saying to her, like, you know, that this is who I am, and this is like, if you want to be with me, this is this pretty is much it. the kind of life life you're gonna have, because like, I can't, I'm not gonna. It's a good disclaimer. Yeah, 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 good disclaimer. So she's known from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where yeah. are you at now, like
0: with, you know, you've got these paint. I'm in your studio. You've got paintings that have come from back from another gallery. Yeah. You, like where you at
1: with your I'm just life. kind of in a holding pattern. Well, I'm, I'm f- f- focusing my creativity in other areas at the moment. So, yeah. you know, we were sort of touching on a few things that happened and it kind of started like I was, I, I, as I tend to do, I go off on tangents. Yeah, and those we tangents probably come back right around from the start
0: now. You well,
1: <laughs> I, I had started talking about, you know, we're doing the Three Oceans Project and then yeah. I started working with Diana Palmer in Sydney. And um, we had success at Sydney Contemporary and then, I mean, that went really, really well and I'd been pushing to, you know, get my career going in Australia for a few years. I'd had a show in Sydney a couple of years before with a gallery. And and so when we'd had that Sydney contemporary show and, you know, I sold really well and I sold work to some really important people and mm. it just seemed like well, everything was kicking. That was when we decided, Bianca and I went, should we go back to Sydney for a couple of years, you know, and I can really, really throw myself into my career in Australia. And, and we were kind of, we'd been in Gizzy for four years and we were both at that point in our lives going are we ready for this, you know? Are mm. we ready to kind of be living in a small town? Like we loved it and we knew it was going to be home but we, we weren't sure whether, you know, we were quite what ready yeah. for that just yet. So after that we went, come on, let's go back to Sydney for a couple of years and we'll just push it. And B was quite happy to, like quite excited to go back and get a good design job again and yeah. for us to do that. And, um, and so in, then in 2016 I made a show for Diana's new gallery in Willara and that just went off and sold work to art bank and like important people and sold out and it was like everything was going really well wow. and all the right noises were being made and yeah. i had a couple of like that was when you're the hot kid the well, hot what was it i quick? don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> i don't okay, know about yeah, that. yeah 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 uh, anyway uh, you you things, felt good about the things situation are going well. yeah, and, um, are good. i had some of the the big galleries in australia making right noises yeah. and i went and met with a couple of gallery directors and and um and then, as things do, like 2017, you know, I was making a show for Diner and it was just about to open. And again, we had all the the right people coming and like mm. press and magazines and what have you. And, and, um, I don't know if I want to get into this because okay. I don't want to. Okay. Yeah, You're going there, bro. But, um, but you know, so things changed. And, yeah. and Dinah just like met a guy and, and, and they decided they're going to get married and have kids and, okay. and all that, which was totally cool because I, I get it. And, um, and I was fully supportive of her doing that because she's an awesome lady and she'd met a really great guy yeah. and it was so nice to see her happy. And mm. But it uh, changed the
0: direction of your...
1: Well, it did, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, and um, and it was definitely halted a bit of momentum, but, you know, that's life. And I was, you know, it's just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, and so I did get another gallery in Sydney and, and worked with those guys and they've been fantastic. So you're still but, with um, them? Well, no, because they shut the gallery last okay. year. Are you after. with the gallery now? No, I pulled away completely. Wow! So and like this is the funny thing. Like I mean, as we've discussed, like I've been super committed to my role as an artist all my life and worked tirelessly, tirelessly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. given everything to it. Yeah, and you know, hugely ambitious. You know, and um, in my own kind of quiet way, you know, always wanted to surf and travel and yeah. But um, but yeah, then after a bunch of stuff says that, and then there was a couple other things that happened when I came back to New Zealand that, again, I don't want to get into because I don't want to, you know, bring up people's names and make them feel un- cool. uncomfortable or anything. But, um, but, yeah, I had another thing happen in 2019 that was really um, quite disappointing and upsetting after a lot of hard work. And then, um, so then I started working with a new gallery in Auckland, um, and the director was just fabulous, and we just got on really well, and I just had absolute faith in her. And so we're building up to a really big show in 2020 because I hadn't had a show in Auckland for quite a number of years at that point. I'd been focused on Sydney and I'd I'd left my earlier gallery that I had for quite a number of years in Auckland. So I was like, right, I really need to do something out of the box here, you know, make the best show I've ever made. And I worked my butt off and made, like I reckon, the best looking show I'd ever made. Wow. And I worked with the gallery about walls that I wanted painted, certain colours because I wanted them to work with, particular painting, so it designed the whole space around where the works are going to go, and it was like... Rather than, yeah, cool. It was super cool. So got all that done, went up, hung the show, and I was like, man, this is the best thing I've ever done, and um, that evening, I was, we were staying with friends in Auckland, and we were just having a few celebratory drinks, and literally that evening, Jacinda came on the news and went, community transmission, lockdown. Wow. And so it didn't even Back. open the doors, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and um, that was a big kick in the guts, because... I'd really work my butt off for that. And then, um, so then... So I then pic- what happens with that,
0: you know, like... Well, did, you know... You, they contact you, they say, fuck, or,
1: well... Well, I mean, something. the gallery couldn't even open. Yeah. They had lockdown. So yeah. all we could do was take photographs and put them up online. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. And, um, and then, so then the following year, I was like, right, I'm going to... Was there my-.
0: any success with that, even though there yeah, were a Yeah, I mean, look, I sold like, some paintings. Okay.
1: But, yeah. but the, it- the difference is, yeah, you might sell some paintings, but... All those opportunities for your career to really move forward mm. just evaporated
0: it's all like it all leads it, it all builds into the to the big the version of you like i guess like you know what i mean it, yeah for the art in the art career like mm. when you said you're committed to that and it's like i mean it's like any career yeah you know you're trying to build up to be
1: well totally and especially because yeah. i hadn't shown for a while and yeah. you know we'd had good press leading up and I had a piece yeah. in in the you know art magazine and yeah. all that and so it was like building up and we're going to have a big opening with heaps of people coming and it was you know and so that just halts all that momentum yeah. so like, yeah you sell a few paintings but you just lose all the momentum mm. and um and what was really difficult was right at that time this is um you know end of 2020 and like literally that show shut got locked down and I had a real hard time dealing with that and then one of my dearest old friends took his own life And then three weeks later, my dad died like all at once. So that was pretty hardcore. And, um, so then I had to make a show for the following year and I was like, man, I've got to channel all this into something meaningful, you know, like the death of my father and everything, obviously, which was pretty Mm. big deal. So I kind of used as a catalyst for this body of work that was going to be around time and meaning and, you know, and it was really hard body work to make. Like it was probably the most difficult show I'd ever made. Um, but I was really pleased with it, made a really good show. And, um, Oh, hang on a I Actually, that was for Sydney, for my gallery in Sydney. So I sent the whole show over, which you can imagine is an, experience, an expensive exercise. How, how expensive is it to do? Well, <laughs> it's expensive, you know, because <laughs> you've got to send like a whole... tens of thousands? No, nah, no, because nah, like, I've got a smart way to do things. Okay. okay. So what With I do, work, you've got, yeah. like there's two things. When you're sending a whole body of work overseas, the expense, the main expenses come from, one, you have to create the work. And send it Because if you're sending big paintings You you've send a
0: pre story. stretched or, yeah, Well,
1: or sh- so most people, yes, work. are sending it stretched yeah. Sending it in crates Yeah, It's very expensive yeah. And then not only that If you're sending crates of paintings You have to declare the value Customs, uh, right? Yeah. And then you end up having to pay 10 tax. or 15% tax On that whole consignment wow. Even though you might not sell the work That's So then you're up for this huge bill For work that hasn't even sold yet so it's illegal to
0: lie about that, obviously. Like, well, how did they? How would they know?
1: Well, because <laughs> things have to come in and out of the country, don't they? You know what I mean? True. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And you have to declare things or not, because then also it's like, well, if things get damaged or lost, and you know, yeah. like, for instance, can we pause for a sec? Um, oh,
0: yeah, Scotty just in toilet.
1: That's uh, all right. You're allowed yeah, don't to. Don't tell to people toilet. that. Oh, you just did it. Uh, <laughs> There's going done. to be a break. Um, <laughs> so. Um, shipping. Yeah. Okay. So yeah so there there are a lot of expenses yeah. associated insurance with it. yeah well that's the thing if you're sending a consignment of paintings over there and you you might be looking at a value of 100 grand yeah. or more yeah um, then yeah there's insurance stuff and then of course import duty costs so i mean if you then you're up for 15k import duty on top of yeah. all the other expenses it's ridiculous mm-hmm. and then you got to pay 40 50% commission to the gallery like it's just that's ridiculous really? oh yeah wow. well, yeah it, yeah so <laughs> What well, I yeah. what I do, like, so for that Sydney show, for example, because I, I have, I've lived in Sydney and I've got a lot of friends and contacts there, one of my friends has got an art supply store there. And so what I would do is just take all the paintings off the stretchers, put them in a tube, send the tube. Yeah. And now this is the, this is the smart thing, and I'm letting my secret out to all of you people. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is my yeah, secret. Okay. But because they're off the stretcher, right, all they are is a piece of canvas with paint on it, so I would declare them as unfinished paintings ah. because essentially they're not, they're finished, not finished right? Yeah. So really, like when you're talking about art, you have an intrinsic value and an abstract value, right? So the intrinsic value is like the cost of the canvas and the paints. Yeah. Yeah. The abstract value is it's what someone's going to pay is for. Is what it. that's going to be when it's put on the wall in an art gallery, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we talked about how you value art has all of these factors, Mm -hmm. you know, the point in your career, your previous track record, your market price, gallery commission, all that. They dictate the price that's on the wall. So those are quite abstract values, you know. The intrinsic value of that painting there next to me might be $300, you know, in canvas and and paint. And then the gallery puts (laughs) it on the wall and it's eight grand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when I take it off the stretches and I declare it as unfinished paintings, all I have to declare is the intrinsic value, right? Because it's not even a finished artwork yet. So the value of it is the canvas and the paint. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so crazy. I'd send the whole show over in a tube, valued at you know, thousand dollars yeah. yeah. And um and then I'd just send that tube straight to my mate's art supply store. And he's stretched. And they just stretch them all out and deliver them to the gallery for me. I see. Yeah. But so you're still paying for all the stretches and the labour costs at the other end, which might be four thousand. Yeah but you're you circumventing it? thousands of dollars worth of costs. Okay. And all the other stress about um, customs and all that yeah. shit. But so, so it's still an expensive exercise though. Yeah, yeah. And so essentially after what had happened in 2020 with all the stuff I was telling you with the show and my dad and my mate and like, Yeah.
0: So you've got your pieces in so, Sydney now. They're in the gallery. Well, yeah,
1: after a really tough year of making a show Around all that yeah, stuff and yeah. dealing with the death of my father and trying to put that into a meaningful exhibition and, and give see, it. Do you feel like you had to, to give you know like uh, pressure to? <laughs> oh, I don't you know pressure. Like no. it's not like there was any external pressure. It's okay. more that you know there was yourself. a lot of emotion to deal with mm. and to come into the studio every day. You know after all that, pick mm. yourself up again after the lockdown debacle and and then you know my dad and my friend and all that stuff and to actually pour that into something meaningful was a lot of well of work a lot Mm -hmm. of emotional energy so i did that and i wrote a really good piece around that body of work that was really good sent it all over there and the same day the show opened was the bondi cluster lockdown What's the Bondi Cluster Lockdown? Oh, that was what started the Sydney lockdowns. Oh. Was the what they called the Bondi Cluster. That was when oh. the first, first uh, lockdown, community of transmission appeared in oh. Bondi and basically the day my show opened it got locked down.
0: Was that before or after Auckland? Before then? No, it was after. Oh, that was after Auckland? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, so you can imagine that was pretty shit. And then the following year, I picked myself up to make the next show and send all the work up there. And a week before the show, we locked down again. Oh, my God. And the show didn't open again. So on the back of the things that had happened in Sydney and then when I came back and then three shows in a row, I was caned. I was just yeah. spent. How do you, like, you know, I take you for the person that's kind
0: of like it's meant to be like that's just the way it is in that, but how you do you? How did that. you deal with that? That's oh, it I mean. was really hard. Yeah, mm. yeah, I
1: was just emotionally exhausted. Mm. Yeah. Um, did uh, you?
0: Did it change your mind? Did it discourage you? Change your mindset on, you know, your career as an artist oh, and no, all those things? I mean, or? I
1: mean, and again, it wasn't. Those weren't the things that made my decision to pull away for a while. Yeah. It was other things as well. Like okay. we touched just on... The, yeah,
0: that stuff, yeah.
1: all It was all of
0: those things. Everything combined.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, I'm, it's funny because I've never been a quitter. I'm not someone... Like I deal well with adversity. Mm. Um, and so those lockdowns and all that, as hard as they were at the time, they weren't really that. They didn't necessarily make up my mind to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. It was a whole lot of things, but I definitely got to a point where it took all the joy away. Mm. And I just... I really didn't want to even be in my studio, just didn't even enjoy it. Okay. Didn't feel like making art. Yeah. And, um, and you don't want to go in there and just let, like,
0: like you said, you don't want to do things that you don't want to.
1: Yeah. I mean, you I can force right it for, and yeah. I've certainly had to force it at times. Okay. You know, cause like, yeah, you know, people think as an artist that you sit in a room waiting for inspiration <laughs> to strike, you know, and then you're like, Oh, I'm inspired. I'm I'll bang out this painting. But like, that's total bullshit. You know, like that might happen if you make out on the sly, you know, every now and then, yeah. but if As you're a, a full-time professional artist, it's a job and you go in that studio every day and you work whether you want to or not, okay. like you're doing any other job. Yeah. And that's the only way you're going to be a successful artist, okay. you know, is having discipline and hard work. And it doesn't matter whether you're feeling it or not, you just get yeah. working. There's a great quote, another great quote from a American artist, a guy called Chuck Close who's dead mm. now, but, um, Yeah, his thing was inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just turn up and get to work. Yeah, and it's absolutely true. Did you ever have a? um, Did you have any troubles or or
0: learn how to cultivate your discipline?
1: Oh, I had to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and how 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 did you think
1: you did that, or when did that Um, come? I think it just developed over time. Mm. You know. yeah, I, I found that hard at first because I, I lo- I'm someone who loves to be outdoors and go surfing. <laughs> go surfing and you yeah. Know, and when it's a nice, hot, sunny summer's day, the hard thing is to be in, this, in a room for eight hours a day when no one's telling you you have to. Yeah. You know, that takes discipline. Mm. And that took time to develop. Yeah. But, you know, as, as with most things, like as my career developed and I had some success and it started to seem like a real job, you know, then, then you just start easier. to be more professional and treat it more like a real job. And, yeah. and over time, that discipline... Just, yeah, developed to a yeah. point where I was working ridiculous amount of hours every day. Mm. You know, seven days a week, you know, it's too much almost. And that's part of it, I guess, is I just probably cooked myself a bit. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I would, if you'd asked me a few years ago, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that I would be pulling away from the art world at all. No chance. Never. Wow. Well, because so, I've given my whole life to it. Yeah. So with that, mm. I'll ask you the
0: last question. <laughs> with I'll that, probably give you three answers. Yeah, you can right give now. me a hundred answers, <laughs> but with, with that, like you know, you poured, yeah, you poured yourself into this career of of art, mm. and so what does what does success mean to you, then, and that you've uh, look. I think
1: in the end, it's always success to me. Always just comes back to being happy within myself and living a good life. You know. Mm-hmm it's not a monetary success or it's not like ticking things off on the career timeline or whatever like it mm. might have been if you'd asked me that 10 years ago okay but um but now well you know even like i haven't i haven't made a painting this year which astounds me Whoa, it's yeah. been yeah oh, okay. like no joke right. i haven't i haven't made a painting this year and and you know we're in november so mm. that is That's astounding to me because yeah. i'm someone who just works constantly um, and initially when I thought, fuck this, I just need to pull away from being an artist for a while and do some other stuff, you know, that was an anxiety-inducing thought, you know, and to, to make, come to that decision took a lot and it freaked me out for sure. But yeah. over the course of this year and now I just don't care and I, I just feel a lot lighter and happier and that you know, maybe I'll get back to being a full-time artist. But if I do, it'll be in a different way than before and with a different mindset than I ever had before. Yeah. I don't know, these things have changed within me. and like... And it's not like I felt like I had anything to prove to anyone before, but I just feel so much more like I don't have anything to prove to anyone. Yeah. You know, I really don't. That's a great um, place to be. And you know, I've reflected on this a bit in the last year. And it's something that took a while for me to kind of realise, but I think part of that has to do with the death of my father because he, obviously he and I are similar but very different as well. And he was a very kind of loyal, hard-working, family-minded guy, very unselfish man, you know, who really gave everything for his family, a very unselfish person. And, um, and you know, I've always, like surfed and skateboarded and you know he was a real like there's a key kind of key differences like he was a team man you know played rugby loved the team Mm. i've always been quite a solo person traveled by myself skateboard surfing a lot of solo stuff stuff. you know and it's not i love people don't get me wrong yeah but um i think to him and because i was always like a bit like 100 miles an hour at everything you know and um you know, it's in my nature throw yeah. myself wildly headlong into stuff you know and to hell the consequences and yeah. what have you I think he always worried that I didn't have the discipline and uh-huh. the stickability at something and the the, the that, that kind of will to see things through over a long period and to work really hard and I think he worried that that was something I wasn't going to have in my life and that you know choosing a career as an artist is going to be a tough thing no matter what and for any parent that's probably like a concern right yeah but to his credit he always um supported me you know like and in, in um you know said you you know that i could do it you know he wasn't ever like oh you shouldn't do this kind of thing i, mean, I think it maybe at the beginning a little bit yeah but i when i look back now i think subconsciously part of what drove me was to show him that i could do it and that i could stick and work really hard at something you know i, I mean I, that's I, so it's common, so common it's something I've, not, yeah. I've seen this year that i've really really, really really noticed it now it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I certainly was never consciously thinking that mm. before, but I've noticed since he's died that I'm, it's almost like slightly a bit of pressure off. Wow. Yeah. But it's taken me time to realize that I feel a bit like that. And it's like, you know, like I said to you before, I don't have anything to prove to anybody, yeah. you know, including myself. Yeah. Um, And I think maybe I felt like I had something to prove to him. Yeah. You know, and maybe that was partly what the drove me. Part of me. the drove. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's bigger than that because it's like it's been, you know, the focal point of my life really, yeah. you know, that and surfing and a few other things. But yeah. really being my primary focus. Wow. Um, but, yeah, so now I feel differently about things, you know. Um, and I feel pleased with what I've achieved too and that I I did achieve Can, a lot as an yeah. artist. And I don't mean to say that in that I'm like, you know just washing my hands of it and going oh yeah well that's a chapter of my past yeah. I don't mean that but you're
0: content, you're I feel, more content. yeah I feel
1: content and yeah. um, you know I, I think I'll continue to make art but like I said it'll be in a different way whether that's m- just a mindset thing or not I don't yeah. know at the moment I think that's interesting because it's
0: you know you've got you've I think it's different for the people that are aspiring to do it you know that sometimes you feel like you need a reach to get somewhere you mm-hmm. know like I don't know. For the example, of the camp or something like we're a little king around, then we expanded and expanded, and expanded. Mm-hmm. And now all I want to do is just like have a few things, a yeah. few cabins to like rent out and yeah. little Airbnbs. Not it's like getting
1: older too, though. It's like maturing, eh? You know, yeah. like we were talking about before about your notion of what success means and looks like changes. Yeah. 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 And like to me now, you know, I'm a 48, success is, is just living a good life. You know, and feeling happy and content, and being healthy, mm. and and like, yeah, just trying to put my my time and energy into things that that are meaningful to me. You know, and yeah. um, and really, that's all that matters. I'm not hung up on any end goals. You know, like I might have been, like oh, I want to be at this point. I want to be showing in New York. I want to. That was you know, younger you. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, I just I never think like that. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, a little bit at the moment because I'm writing this book, you know, and so I have this goal in mind where I'm like, I want to achieve this thing and I want to, you know, and I'm hard on myself. Like, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. How do
0: you balance that last part? Like, so how do you balance, you know, just giving your best to the work and not kind of going, I want to achieve a goal and have maybe a published or – Get i into mean this that's space, good because you, know you I mean?
1: need things that motivate you you know yeah, so like okay. yeah when i think about what i'm trying to achieve with this book is like yeah, you know, i'd like in the end to create something good enough that you know a good publishing house will want to do something with it sure yeah but um that's not what drives me every day to sit down and do it yeah do you know what i mean cool um and a bit like with making art you know there's a lot of crossovers there but but again it's like for me putting my time and energy into something that's meaningful beyond just making money. You know, that's again what's driving that's me good, at the root yeah. of it all. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. All right, I <laughs> love it, bro. Awesome, you're a wise man. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, you've like, got come through lots of mistakes. <laughs> no, but the thing is, yeah. I mean, you've had you've had a like you know a long career in, in art, and I guess you've got a lot to speak about yeah. on it. And yeah, it's incredible to hear it all. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I feel lucky.
1: Oh, yeah. so, cheers <laughs> brother oh, I, I, it's, been, it's been a really good um, exercise yeah. It's nice It's nice to um, You know To go through the process Of thinking about all those things Because it's um, I mean I've been thinking about These things this year But it's yeah. good to have to articulate them Yeah You know Sometimes you hear your own voice And you hear yourself speaking about things It helps you come to realizations about stuff you know? yeah. yeah Like when you have that internal monologue It's different to Speaking to out speaking loud speaking it out loud That's
0: what I mean that's what a therapist kind of is like Yeah, yeah right, totally you
1: know? Yeah Yeah,
0: yeah.